Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank descriptions of sex, and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy. Finally, the bathroom door opened and Carrie could hear Patrick walking into his room. Carrie counted to ten slowly, then opened his own door. As he made it to the bathroom, he stopped. Patrick was standing in his doorway, in profile wearing nothing but a tight pair of trunk-cut underwear. In the soft candlelight, Carrie could see the curve of Patrick's ass, the bulge of his cock in the tight underwear. Patrick was looking down at his phone, typing away, and Carrie knew that he had to get by undetected. But just as he shifted his weight to take a step, the floor creaked underneath him. Patrick looked up and looked a little surprised before chuckling embarrassedly. Sorry, I got distracted by my phone. He then turned to face Carrie, lifting his arms to put himself on display. I guess we're even now. Carrie tried to move, but couldn't. He was distracted by taking in Patrick's body, his eyes roaming hungrily over the lines and curves of it. Carrie must have unknowingly employed the expression he'd used to entice someone from across the bar because Patrick's smile faltered. Then his eyes widened slightly as he became aware of the warm tension that was strumming through Carrie's body. And then, cheeky little smartass that he was, Patrick smiled impishly and lifted one eyebrow as if to say, I dare you. Carrie knew it wasn't too late. He could say goodnight, brush his teeth, masturbate furiously, and then go to bed. He could walk away and not make things any more complicated or stressful than they already were. But the arch of Patrick's eyebrow and the rakish curve of his lips was a challenge to see if he had enough of a spine to be impulsive, to see if, even with this opportunity right in front of him, would he go for it? Carrie knew it wasn't too late until he took his first step forward. Neil. You? I was supposed to cut you off, but I didn't want to because I wanted to keep hearing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too good for our little game of pretend we're not doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it. I do enjoy it. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play Fuck, Marry, Kill with the characters. Um, But today... Today is ever so slightly different... Today, we're going over our NaNoWriMo experience. It's our NaNoWriMo 2020 post-show reunion special. <laughs> Get Andy Cohen out here. Get us on Bravo. It's the, the, the wrap-up special. It's the wrap-up. And we're, we're going to go over all the fights. We're going to go over all the infighting. We're going to go over all of the hair pulling. We're going to go all o- over all of the wine tasting. Yeah, all of it. But first, before we get into it, mm-hmm. uh, Claire. Yes? What's got you all hot and bothered? Oh, Neil. Neil. Yes. Important things happened in romance this week. Uh-huh. Two very important things. I'm only going to go over one of them, but then maybe I'll come back and hit the other one after you're hot and bothered. Okay. There's just, it's so great. It's so great. One of them's political spectrum, so I'm going to save that one for later. First one, though, Nora Roberts. <gasps> Queen 
of all of romance, uh-huh. one of the uh, one of the people who has like you know we read one of her books. We read J.D. Robb, which neither of you liked, neither of us liked, <laughs> but Claire. we both acknowledged. <laughs> Claire didn't read it. She had an out of body experience. Out of body experience. Neither of us liked it, but we both acknowledged that this made a yeah. shit ton of money. <laughs> So what yeah. to do there? But anyway, so on some forum, some fan forum or something somewhere online, there was a woman named Deborah who wanted to tell Nora Roberts to fucking publish her books. She knows she writes them super fast. Just get it out. She's tired of waiting. And somebody was like, oh, I mean, that's not really the way publishing works. And then Deborah went off about how publishing works. And then Nora Roberts entered the okay, chat. Right, I, this might change, but as of now, I love Deborah. <laughs> it's like, listen, I'm sick of it. I, I, know, I know you're still writing them books. I know how this works. This is 2020. I need any little small morsel of joy to get through. (laughs) And I am not waiting for it. And Nora Roberts is like, okay, so here's the thing. I mean, I know it's a trilogy, but I actually don't write all the books at the same time. And I don't actually write them as fast as you think I write them. And... Uh, the publishing company I work with isn't, like, withholding the books so that, you know, to amp anything up. I haven't finished them yet. And then Deborah wrote back and tried to call bullshit on this whole thing and had a whole long thing about how publishing works and she knows all about it. And Nora Roberts was like, no, that's not how publishing works. And everybody was like, because and then she just explained like how publishing works you know promote things and to like you have to get the art department on shit there's multiple editors and has to go through the sales process and as a trilogy like she didn't she doesn't have it completely written yet and every book goes through its separate process and also like because she's not like online publishing so it has to go through like a larger process and this woman kept coming back to Nora Roberts going, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) To Nora Roberts about Nora Roberts books. (laughs) It's, okay, okay. It's like the Karen version of mansplaining. Yes! Everybody was calling Deborah the Kara of, uh, the Karen of uh, romance novels this week. Like, Like, there's a whole thing on Twitter, which is like, the worst thing that could happen on Twitter is if you were the main character of Twitter that week. <laughs> and Deborah made herself the main character of romance Twitter, despite the fact this other very cool, amazing thing was happening, which is a bunch of romance authors got together and held a huge fundraiser uh, for the Georgia elections um, because Stacey Abrams, who did so much hard work to get Democrats elected in Georgia um, is a romance author. So, like, all of these romance authors were, like, lifting up and, like, let's do this. And this was huge fucking news. But here comes Deborah, and she's got to tell Nora Roberts her life to her. (laughs) And Nora Roberts just pretty much is, like, like, very calmly was, like, 
You don't know what you're talking about. I've told you several times the truth, and you refuse to believe me, and I don't know why. <laughs> did, did Deborah list her credentials about knowing how publishing works at all? Uh, no. Okay, oh, okay. here is here is her notes. I have personally explained the process to you, Deborah. <laughs> that is what the Nordstorm Roberts is. I have personally explained the process to you, Deborah. Ah! Uh, like... Okay. It was great. It was great, and I was very happy with it. Listeners, start it, spread it. A Deborah is someone who mansplains to someone so that they can be a Karen about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is inconveniencing me, so I'm going to scream at someone who actually knows what they're doing about how they don't know what they're doing until I get what I want. This is a Deborah. Deborah. Great. So please start using it, listeners. Okay, we'll... Deborah. Okay, okay, Deborah. Okay, Deborah. <laughs> All right, Deborah. Ah, uh, cracked my shit up. So Great. that is my hot and bothered for this week, and I am both hot and bothered. Great. Uh, Neil, Great. what has got you hot and bothered? You stole my hot and bothered. No! Yes, I was going to talk about. Stacey Abrams being a superhero and being supported by other romance writers. So, um, according to... Neil, I'm terrible. It's fine. According to an article on Bustle from late November uh, called How Romance Novelists Are Helping Stacey Abrams Turn Georgia Blue, um, romance powerhouses and seemingly fantastic human beings, Courtney Milan, Alyssa Cole... And Kit Rocha, which is the mm-hmm. name for writing duo Donna Heron and Brie Bridges, started an organization. It's like an organization slash auction called Romancing the Runoff. And a bunch of romance writers donated a bunch of stuff. Um, Neil Gaiman donated stuff to auction off. Like, everyone. And all of the proceeds go to the Georgia runoff election, um, which listeners if you aren't aware please look up it's an incredibly important election that's happening um and if you are in georgia listeners please be sure to go vote on january 5th and also double check your voter status because hey guess what's happening in georgia <laughs> guess what stacy abrams arch nemesis as being a political superhero is voter suppression um, I like how you suppressed your voice. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, we want to talk about it. Everybody, um, this article is great. Um, also, everyone, even if you don't want to auction something off, you can still donate to the runoff elections. Um, and just like anytime Courtney Milan or Alyssa Cole gets mentioned, I'm excited because you know that they're like kicking ass and taking names about something important and i love yes 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 um and uh kit rocha the the duo like i've read one of their books and it was super fun like i'm not sure like it wasn't like my favorite story on the whole but honestly one of my favorite sex scenes like it was just oh super hot super duper hot and it was Okay. A delightful. Okay. Um, and full of like equality and like consenty and also exceedingly hot. Great. Um, great. It was, All the sexiest things. Oof, it was great. Um, but yeah, 
No, uh, 100%. Like, take a look. They're doing good things. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it, Claire. Let's talk about... Let's talk about this. Nanoremo. So, Neil. Yeah. We are now recording this on December 5th, which Uh means the month of November is over. We have completed it. And I have a question for you. Did Mm -hmm. you do 50... K words. I did 56,230 words. Yay! Yay! Which means it's done. It's already published. Oh, obviously. I don't obviously. know what Nora Roberts is talking about. It was like out the door. Fast, fast, fast. So, Deborah, go buy my book because it's ready. <laughs> I have I've written all five books in the series. <laughs> They're all with the publisher. The publisher's just, like, waiting to release them. Just withholding them from everybody who wants them. Yeah. Um, But you did it! You won! I did it! You won NaNoWriMo! I'm very excited. I... Did you actually finish your book? No. No. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Um, I'd say I'm, like... Uh, two thirds of the way through. Nice. I don't know. But again, like a lot of what I wrote this this last month for NaNoWriMo was unnecessary, and will end up. It'll it'll just die in my notes file and just like live there forever. Um, but I feel good about what I have. The last section that I wrote was the first sex scene with my two main characters. Um, it took three days of hitting at least 2,000 words each day. So I'm excited about that. Um, so yeah, and now I, I feel good about it and I've decided, like I know where I need to go more or less. I know what my next steps are, and I've decided in November that I am setting aside at least three hours a week to keep working on it. Mm. Because I want I want to finish a draft and then see where things go from there. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank I'm you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm um, proud of myself, too, because last time we did this, I got, like, I don't know, 30K or something. It was not quite where we wanted to be. But also, like, life was still happening. Like, I was able to leave my house and go do things last time, so. (laughs) (sighs) But, like, what was the biggest takeaway from this experience for you? What was the, what is the thing that you feel like you gained the most besides the actual writing itself? Like yeah. the, the beginnings of a book. Um, the biggest takeaway is a lesson that I have to learn and relearn over and over and over again. Cause I always forget. And that like, you have to be proactive about setting aside time to work on something, which I know, I I always know that to be true, but, like, when it gets into actually doing it, then I have to actually remind myself, like, oh, no, this is is what that's like, so you have to do it. Remember that last time when we said, oh, this was good that I did? Just do it again, bitch! (laughs) So, but, um, yeah, and it, it was, um... 
having more of an outline than I normally have was good. I enjoyed the process, even though a bunch of it, you know, went out the window. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, I think the hardest thing about writing is making sure that you have the time to do it. Yeah. Um, so you, you said that the last things that you've been working on are your two main characters are finally jumping into the sack together. Mm -hmm. Um, what else has happened since then? Like what's, what's, what, tell us the story. All right. So, um, Patrick has more or less decided to stay for an extra month. Um, cause he's like, this is great. And if I have to go home, then I have to deal with my shitty life that I'm just now realizing how much I hate. So they've like about, they're about to sort of fall into a groove. But then one night when they're just about to start serving dinner, all of a sudden a storm kicks up out of nowhere, a thunderstorm. They're like, okay, well, we got to get everyone inside, get everyone. So they get everyone inside cause it's not especially cold, but like. It's a thunderstorm. So they get everyone inside, and then just as Patrick is about to set down the first plate of the first course, the power goes out. And they're like, well, shit. So basically what they do is they they get together a bunch of candles and flashlights, and they escort everyone back to their room. And then fortunately dinner was more or less almost ready and he's working with a gas stove so he's still able to finish and so it's like okay so we'll just bring dinner to everyone's room and then Carrie has to go around and make sure that there aren't any really terrible leaks because that's always a possibility there are a few tiny ones he's able to patch it up and so he he's on his way upstairs and he's like I am so exhausted and I'm so fucking hungry but like dinner's shot obviously like Patrick served it all and has cleaned up and he's probably in bed and it's fine. I'll just go to bed. I'll go to sleep and then just like hopefully figure this out tomorrow. Um, oh, and we found out that it's not, it's nothing in the bed and breakfast as to why the power is out. It's like the whole city is losing is, has lost power. So there's nothing he can do about it. So he goes up to the third floor where it's his bedroom and Patrick's bedroom in their little shared bathroom. And on the landing, Patrick has laid down a blanket and like has a little dinner service ready, like a little candlelit dinner, which of course is very sweet. So they sit down and they sort of chat through things. And this is when Patrick discovers that like one one tiny push in the wrong direction and the bed and breakfast will have to close. Like he's barely keeping afloat. He's hoping that, cause this is the late spring. He's hoping that like ramping up into the summer busy season, he'll be able to make enough money to keep going. And so Patrick's like, okay, I'll figure something out. I have these ideas. What if we do this? What if we do that? And Carrie's like, listen, 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 listen. I appreciate you helping. I'm so tired. Can you just, like, let's just try sitting down and being quiet. And just, like... <laughs> and not, like, because I need you to be quiet. But, like, I think it would be good for both of us if we just, like... <laughs> let's not solve all of my problems tonight. <laughs> right? It's like, our tummies are warm with food and wine. 
there's a storm happening above us. We're here in candlelight. Let's just take a few moments to, to like, to just be, to appreciate. And, you know, it's been such a long day. And then they end up sort of like sitting next to each other. And there's like that teenage of like, oh, oh, our elbows are touching. But oh, if I don't move it away, if he doesn't move it away, then that means that we like each other. And oh, what if we blah, blah, blah. Stuff happens, stuff happens, stuff happens. And then they start fucking. Yay! <laughs> So, Aww. which was what I read at the top of the episode was the beginning of that. They, like, went into their separate rooms and then, um, and just before dinner, Carrie had forgotten to close his bedroom door out of habit when he, like, changed into some comfy clothes. So he accidentally stripped down to his underwear in front of Patrick. So then Patrick gets out of the shower and has forgotten to close his door so then Carrie sees him in his underwear which is why he's like I guess we're even now <laughs> and then things happen yay um alright and the road following like um we know it's gonna end in an HEA mm-hmm. but like um what is your next big thing that you have to write and you have to get out and the next thing you're worried about um, well, I definitely need to go back and just, like, completely overhaul my outline. Um, and I have, like, beginning... I have an idea of what is going to happen next, but I don't think I like it anymore. Mm. Um, so I'm going to change it. I also, like, I've already come up with things that I want to change, but then, like, I just want to sit down and, like, really work it over again. Um... Because then we need to, like, next they're going to sort of, like, fall into a groove, but then there needs to be some something to either bring them closer together or push them apart when they don't want to be pushed apart. So I need to, like, figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very exciting. Very, very exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Neil, do you have more to read for I us? do have more to read. In fact... Uh, I'm giving you, I have uh, several potential passages, and I'm going to give you a choice of what you want to hear, Claire. <gasps> oh, I'm very sorry, listeners, if you want any of the passages I don't pick. And Christine, <laughs> uh, you're welcome to chime in with your vote also. Okay. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. So, your three options are rimming, just some banter, or teasing Ooh, christine what do you think i would say the teasing yeah i i am also somewhere between rimming and teasing myself (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's that's my usual state of being Mm -hmm. yes well here's what i'm gonna say neil higgins Mm -hmm. i think that we should um that we should do the teasing but you should 100% post the rimming on our webpage. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Also, Excellent. I'm, I'm, I assumed you'd pick the teasing because I know you love teasing. I love teasing. You love teasing. I love teasing, but I, I feel bad if we withhold rimming. <laughs> it's true. So It's true. Something, another takeaway from this was just like, Oh, the things that I enjoy and have come across other gay men enjoying in bed are difficult to explain without sounding gross or weird. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. As much as much as like 
I want to feel like straight sex and gay sex are like worlds apart. I'm going to also have to say sex in general. It's like if you were explaining it to an alien. <laughs> like, let me just say, it's, it is weird. It, it, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. And it, it's awkward. I, I will tell you one of my favorite stories. Yeah. One of my favorite stories. A friend of mine once told me after yes. she broke up with her boyfriend was... She goes, you know what, though? I love my new boyfriend so much because he is not afraid of body fluids. You know what I mean? And I nodded and went, yes, I do. I'm glad you're getting good sex. But in my head, I was like, I don't know what, <laughs> which specific body fluids. There's a range. There's so many. How and, afraid and how? was he? And, like, who is afraid of what? And... What are you enjoying now that you didn't get before? <laughs> there's there's just I, such a spectrum. <laughs> I imagine I imagine that as he was like sliding his dick into her vagina, he was just like gross, 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 because of all the fluids. Right. I mean, and that would be one end. Uh, but then there's the other end, which is like golden showers. Are we talking about like? Are we not afraid of poop in bed? I mean, because yeah. I think there's a, there, you know, there's all, there's the conversation about poop in bed, but then there's also the, like, I'm not a person who likes poop in bed. So, poop like, in bed. <laughs> it sounds like a Scandinavian children's <laughs> character. Oh, poop in bed. Oh, hello, I'm poop in bed. <laughs> I'm poop in bed, and I've come to you with treats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, it's corn. It's always corn. But anyway, this just means, like, Neil, you were correct. Mm -hmm. Sex is weird. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is. But in this genre, because of um, its history and its predominant demographic, there there are a lot of euphemistic literary flowery words to gloss over like the feminine form and all that involves. Mm -hmm. And then the words to describe the masculine form are very like hard yeah. um like very you know like um i guess hard is the word i'm like and then like the the dynamic a lot of times is described as being very like taking um taking and giving and but not but, even like taking invading yeah um like, it's very forceful. Even if the sex act isn't forceful, like, the words to describe it are. And it's just like, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. But then also, like... like this, it, it's a similar situation that I had when I was talking about um, my other character and his body type. And it's like, yeah, like, gay men, in my experience, are just very blunt about it and like but that doesn't make for that's not the type of writing that I'm going for with this you know and it's also very... just like and then he fucked him hard <laughs> okay but where do we go from there <laughs> you know yeah yeah no I'm yeah no this is all very fascinating and I would 
I, I would actually enjoy it. Like maybe one of these days you and I will get together. We'll actually do like a comparison. Just we'll do words. We'll do, we'll break it down dramaturgically, <laughs> literarily, editorially. Yeah. We'll just take yeah. two sex scenes and we'll just rip them apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be really interesting too, because also like thinking about a lot of the gay sex scenes that we've read, um, very few of them have been very explicit, and a lot mm-hmm. of them have been written by white ladies that we're assuming are straight or know to be straight. Right. Well, and we also don't read erotica so much, like because we're reading romances that um, have sometimes erotic things. Yeah. Fucking. Uh, except uh, for. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The road. <laughs> <laughs> That Scottish guy's valley, whatever it was. <sighs> but also, like, again, yeah, because that was about that was about the sex, whereas in romance, the sex needs to be about the feelings. But if you want the sex to also be about the sex, like, there's there's this sort of like tension between being honest and explicit about what's happening, but then like the language that has been built up around the genre. So I just, yeah. I found that really interesting. And especially like when you're writing a scene about rimming, it's just like, okay, how do I talk about this? That like sounds sexy and sort of distracts the reader from imagining just like, and then he put his face in his butt, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like if, when you're, when you're, when you're doing it, when you're in the moment, that's not what you're thinking about. Or maybe you are, but you're also you're thinking about that. But then also, like, this is enjoyable, and I'm enjoying myself, and this person is also enjoying themselves, and like, I find these parts of their body sexy, and I want to do things to them because that's hot. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just been really interesting, um, and I just I wonder if I don't know. Maybe we just need to read some more some more gay erotica 100% that's what we need to do I will also say now that we have um, teased rimming we need to read the teasing scene (laughs) okay (laughs) okay so um, skip ahead a little bit and um, they're in Patrick's room Carrie is sitting on the bed and Patrick has just straddled him and they're both naked Patrick adjusted himself slightly so that he could tease the head of Carrie's cock with his hole and moaned deep in his chest as it became slick with Carrie's pre-cum. Patrick started moving his hips slower and more forcefully, grinding against Carrie's cock so that it got so close to sliding into his hole before his weight shifted. Patrick was obviously enjoying himself, teasing himself as much as he was Carrie. The slippery, velvety smoothness was almost too much for Carrie, and he had to start thinking about his pile of unpaid invoices on his desk in an effort to delay the inevitable. Patrick's breathing had become short and shallow. His eyes were closed, and he wrapped his arms around Carrie so that their foreheads were touching. He was lingering longer and longer with the tip of Carrie's cock pressed up against his hull, both so slick that the slightest movement would slide Patrick down to the base of Carrie's cock. I want you to fuck me so badly, Patrick said in a gravelly whisper, his forehead pressed to Carrie's. You want me to fuck you badly? Carrie asked with a smile. I so badly want you to fuck me, ass, Patrick said, opening his eyes and sticking his tongue out. How badly? 
Harry asked, lifting his hips ever so slightly so that the tip of his cock pressed harder against Patrick's hole, as close as he could without it actually going in. Patrick gasped at the movement and then growled softly with frustration. His eyes slid closed again and he started moving his hips, but Carrie grabbed them and held them still. Patrick huffed. Very badly. I don't know if that's badly enough, Carrie said, lowering his hips and then pressing them back up again. If he lifted his hips even a fraction more, he'd slide into Patrick and he enjoyed how much it drove Patrick wild. His face glowed with a thin layer of sweat and pressed as close as they were, Carrie could feel the frantic rhythm of Patrick's heart. Patrick opened his eyes again and leaned back to pierce Carrie with them. Carrie Rutherford, if you don't fuck me right now, I'll never forgive you. <laughs> and that's my passage. Yay! <laughs> Very teasy. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so Claire. Uh, yes. Did you did you did you win Nano Ramo? Did, did you I hit fifty k? I hit. 58,057 words. Woo! Oh, Christine's Yay! throwing homemade confetti. Yay! <laughs> oh, good. I knew that you hit more than me, but I was expecting you to be like, oh, yeah, like 65K. No, no, not 60. I was, okay. I was gonna, I was really hoping, like, in the last couple of days, I was gonna do big pushes and do, mm -hmm. like, 5,000 and 5,000. Mm -hmm. But those last couple of days like i was exhausted from all of other life things mm -hmm. and like it was just it was it was yeah hard getting out those last words and i was unexpectedly hard um yeah like i had made an internal goal to myself to at least hit par every day mm -hmm. and i didn't do that i did write every day which i'm very proud of but i didn't hit par every day mm -hmm. um because there's like one day where I only wrote 38 words, I was like, I opened the computer, I typed a little bit, and I was like, fuck this. And I closed it back up again. <laughs> I got shit to do! Not happening. And then, and like, there was definitely another day where it was like, the par was 650 for that day or something, and I think I hit 400, and I was like, I could do it. I could push it. And then I was like, mm, I I don't want to. Yeah. I had, um, at the beginning of the month, my goal for myself was 45. Because I was like, I want to hit 50, but we'll set a more realistic one. So that mm -hmm. if I don't hit the 50, I can still be proud of myself, whatever, whatever. And then when I hit the 50, I was like, okay, my new goal is 55. And so I was able to get 56, and I'm very proud of myself. Congratulations. I'm also proud of you. This isn't, this isn't me time. This is Claire time. Aww. So congratulations. You're so close to 60, which is like... 10 above look at you overachiever no and like and yeah just like you i feel like i'm two-thirds of the way through like there's a full third left of the book that mm -hmm. i still have to get through um but it's also like kind of amazing thinking i wrote like 130 pages of something <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> um and this much like i've never written this much like of a single thing mm -hmm. um I have written plays that were a hundred and too many pages. I think my longest play is actually 170 something pages. Oh my God. Yeah. It's not a good play. 
It's a long play. It is a long play with a couple of very good monologues in it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting, too, because writing a play, so much of the page is just blank space. Right, yeah. Um, Whereas this, it's like, no, it's all it's all words. All yeah. of it. Yep, there's, it's a lot of words, a lot of words. So, yeah, this is like, um, this feels pretty thrilling in that sense. And oh, I feel good about that. And um, I think I've learned a lot from this. I think I, I, I am going to try to finish this, and I am going to try to get through to the end, and I am going to try to get through at least one rewrite. Um, I can't say for sure... Uh, like, if I'm going to do anything with it after that. I'm not sure, like, if this is something, like, I'm, like, like, I'm happy for our listeners to listen to some of this. I'm happy for, like, close friends and family to maybe get a, get a taste. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't know if I'm actually going to, like, move forward with anything beyond this. But I am going to try to finish it. Okay. Yeah. I might... <laughs> I'm going to just surprise you for your birthday when you're going to be like, I got your book published. <laughs> FYI, surprise. surprise. I mean, I mean, if I would definitely trust you um, to be able to go like through like, like a, a co- like a publisher's copy and look for mistakes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, I would trust you to have gotten that done appropriately and well. So Great. that is fine with me. Great. Oh man! No, Did, is there anything else that you that you took away that you learned? Um, yeah, I think um, I think the the thing that I learned is that I mean it's hard to balance all like it's it's like with such a long narrative it's really difficult to balance and with so many extra words like to balance themes and to balance mm-hmm. like motivations and like keeping track of time was also very difficult um i had talked to you about like uh young writers and um and how like the only way they could move time forward because they write like minute to minute to minute to minute is like by having the character fall asleep mm-hmm. <laughs> and so either they have to go to bed for the night or someone has to come and knock them out or they have to faint and that's the only way time can move forward or like what's your bucket in that time travel romance, just like, oh, have there be thunder or just the tiniest bit of blood and she'll pass right out and we can move on with our lives. Right out. And then thank God she can wake up and a whole slew of things have happened. (laughs) Everything has happened off camera and we're good to go. (laughs) Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So... um, yeah, so I think that was that was a big takeaway. Um, and, like, learning, like, trying to keep in mind a lot of times, like, how, like, what's important to plot and, like, having gotten through a thing and being like, none of that was important to plot. None of that was important. Um, yeah. I'm glad I wrote it, but none of it was important. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, coming from playwriting to, to prose, it's an interesting balance of like okay well like you have the space to like really fill the page and like that's what people want is like a full complete world with full complete characters and like descriptions and all of that but it's like balancing 
that with the economy of like what's too much was is this necessary is that necessary how can i yeah which is you know it's 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 always a, a challenge of writing but like going from one medium to another it's just like oh i don't have to worry about this normally and now all of a sudden ooh, okay yeah yeah it was I also felt like I didn't have a good sense of the narrator. Like, I honestly never don't mm. think I ever did. Like, and I usually just take it for granted in a lot of, like, third-person books, like, who's talking. It's just an omnipresent god who's telling me this story <laughs> for some reason. Like, it's just like, oh, you've opened this book. Let I am the book, and I will talk to you. What has happened? <laughs> I, the book, will tell you all. Right. And so, like, I don't think about it. But then as I'm writing, there was, like, weird existential moments where I'm like, who's talking? Who is this? <laughs> who's, who's saying things? And, like, I couldn't, like, let myself just go and just say, it's the book. Remember, it's the book. It's the book just telling you things. I'm like, is this a person in the future? Is this... <laughs> <laughs> is this notes of an anthropological study? Yeah. <laughs> Should I have started this Once Upon a Time just so I know who the narrator is? It's somebody who knows that Once Upon a Time there was a woman named Margaret who was running from her husband. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, should I read a little bit? Yes, please. What it, what's okay. tell us what's going Ooh. on? What's about All what right. we're about to experience? Crazy shit has gone down. Great. Margaret has found out through means of her own that Hector is, in fact, a private investigator, and he's 100% there to investigate her and to wait for her husband, Mitchell, to show up at some point. <gasps> she didn't know what to do with this information. She was like, holy crap. She ran away for a little bit. She went all the way to um, what is obviously in the book Roswell, New Mexico, and went to a, a Chinese restaurant where she had a very eye-opening conversation with a goth teenager who works there. <laughs> oh my god. Under her parents... <laughs> I didn't know that all I wanted in life was to live near, within walking distance of a Chinese restaurant where a goth teenager was the waiter. Well, and and it's her parents' restaurant, so she is. Yes. Uh, yes. So yes. they have like, uh, they they have Cantonese like angry conversations with their daughter who is wearing too much eye makeup. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but I love she it. still works there because, of course, because, because... she loves her parents and she's going to do that. <laughs> oh my god! I love it. Um, and so she's the person that Margaret tells like her crazy ass life story to mm -hmm. and the girl's just like it sounds like you and Hector have a thing going on you should probably clear the air <laughs> <laughs> listen I have a death metal album you should listen to and you should just go keep fucking that guy that's, that's all you need to do that's what's happening so she does go back but she's kind of she's going to give Hector the chance to be honest mm -hmm. so she's not She's going to give him the opportunity to come forward himself. Um, he doesn't. And so she has to say, like, dude, you're fucking lying to me. Like, I gave you the opportunity, but you're lying. They have a big old argument. And he's just going to go. He's like, I'm just going to leave. Like, this was, I've made so many fucking mistakes here. I'm just going to go. And he's packing up to leave when there's a drive-by shooting <gasps> and somebody tries to murder them. Uh? And so... 
Like they have to like they have Christine's to like go to the floor. Golden. <laughs> they have to like go drop to the floor really quick. He's like trying to protect her from the falling glass. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then like that's what's kind of broken up their fight moment. And both of them are just like, well, fuck. <laughs> what the hell? They have to call the police back in. And at this point, she's just had the police in her life so much. She's just like not phased. She's just like, whatever. I don't even know. The police leave late at night, and, like, Hector and Margaret are just, like, they've survived this terrible thing, they've done it together, all truth is out, a lot of truths are out, not all truth, a lot of truth is out, and they just fuck. And they just fuck for comfort, they fuck each other because there's nobody else there who understands what they're going through, they just fuck. They... They just want to live in this happy little bubble of feel-good tingly time, so they don't even, like, get out of the living room. They sleep on the floor. They don't even move to the sofa because they're just like, we're just going to stay here. Just, like, maybe if we stay here, the sun won't rise, and we'll just always be in this happy fuck zone. But, of course, the sun comes up. Um, So the next day... I don't know. It's 2020. That's not a given. True. (laughs) True truer than we all know so um so the next day she gets up she washes her face she's exhausted i mean they did really fall asleep you don't sleep on a concrete floor (laughs) that just doesn't happen oh nightmare so um they so she wakes up the next day she washes her face she puts on her silk robe because she's feeling sexy still And she goes out to the front porch in her beautiful silk robe, and she, like, sits on the couch, and she's just kind of dozing. Hector's gone off to get donuts and coffee for them. And she's just like, when he comes back, we're going to have this big old talk, and it's I'm anxious about it. And she's kind of, like, napping a little bit, and the air feels nice because it's early in the morning in New Mexico, and it's a great time in New Mexico. The world was quiet in a way it hadn't been for a while. A cool breeze came through the open windows, and the sun was covered with the sun was covered with a thick uh, with a silk thin layering of gray clouds slipping quickly through the sky. The air tasted thick and smelled smelled wet. There were no birds. When she came out of the living room wrapped in a robe and her newly washed face, Hector was gone, a note on the door that he would be coming back with donuts and coffee. Margaret went to the porch and curled up on the sofa, watching the sky and feeling the intermittent cool air and the comfortable couch reminded her body of the painful sleep the night before and demanded she cuddle further in and rest her eyes. Before she could, though, she could see Bill. Uh, exit his front door from across the street and beeline across the road. Margaret cursed under her breath. She didn't want to deal with her neighbor. What the hell was going on last night? Bill fired at her without breaking stride up her stairs and onto her porch. He had at least the courtesy to only open the door but not come in. Margaret didn't realize how awake she was until she started talking. Apparently, she didn't talk fast enough. Are you high? Are you drunk? What the hell is going on? Margaret started to make noises towards speaking more, but Bill was on a tear. Look, when you came into the neighborhood, I thought you'd better, you'd bring a better element with you. But for all the problems we've had, it's nothing compared to this. The police have been here twice this month and both times in the middle of the night. Um, there's a reason I got this house cheap, Bill, Margaret started. Is it because your whole family is trash? It's because this whole neighborhood is trash. Get the fuck off my porch. 
You are high, Bill pointed at her, but backed away nonetheless. Maybe I am. Maybe I also have a gun. And maybe I'm going to use it to get you the fuck off my private property. This is my fucking right. I'll call the cops. Do it. I'll tell them the same thing. Or maybe you could consider that someone who was almost assassinated yesterday might be scarier than you fucking are, Bill. Bill pointed his finger at, at her again as if to punctuate a sentence that he didn't utter before he turned around and marched back to his house. Well done, a voice started behind her, clapping slowly. The hairs on the back of Margaret's neck stood straight up on end. This wasn't her imagination. This wasn't a memory. This wasn't wishful thinking. Her husband, Mitchell, was standing beside her in the house. It's just one string of terrible man after another, isn't it? Oh, what, uh, one after another. One after okay. another. One, I enjoyed that. Two, do you know how much I would love if there were a man in my life who would just fuck me on the floor and then get me donuts? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I mean... And, like, it was... It, it's, a, it's a good sex scene, too. Like, I'm pretty proud of it. Like, and it's like... Like, he just, he knows all the right things to do, and he does them all, and he's he does them again if she wants. Great. Yeah. Uh, lovely. And I, I can't remember if you had mentioned it on the podcast or, like, in a conversation that we've had about how she, like, never knew quite what to do with Bill and, like, sort of, like, was always off kilter around him. So I love that she's like, get the fuck out of my house, Bill. <laughs> Yeah, Bill is definitely, like, like I've, I peppered parts of the book, and it is one of the things that I feel like it didn't do well enough, because they're supposed to, like, the other neighbors are kind of supposed to be antagonists, and they mm. never quite work out that way in the narrative, the way I'm writing it. But Bill is especially, like, not great, and, like, when he first comes up, he's, like, super nice and sugary and super, like, pleasant, but she can tell there's an edge to it, and she doesn't know what to do with it. And the next time it's more threatening, but he's still trying to be nice. But she also, like, knows that he's just pretending for sure this time. And the next time he's, like, really awful. Mm-hmm. And then this time, for sure, he's, like, a fucking nightmare. And she's just like, you know, <laughs> let me tell you, look at these bullet holes in my goddamn wall. <laughs> you know who yeah. survived being shot at yesterday? Me. You know who doesn't give a fuck anymore about you? Me. <laughs> Who's got two thumbs and zero fucks? This bitch. <laughs> and I also like the idea that she's doing it in this silky, beautiful robe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, she just had her brains fucked out, and she's about to, like... Like, her whole world has fallen apart multiple times. And this is, like... She's the queen of apocalypse right now. So she she's no time. Yeah. I also, having grown up in a desert... Like, the very early morning sort of crispness that you know is only going to last another hour. So you just, Mm -hmm. like, go and sit up. Not that growing up as a teenager is up that early very often. But, like, I know that feeling. And it's just, like, it's just so nice. Like, you know that the day is going to be terrible. So this, like, hour of just, like, oh, it's just, like, it's just the right temperature. Yeah. So nice. 
And I'm also setting up the, so it rains later that day, so it's just starting to get cool. Uh, and it's like in the desert where it's like, it finally gets moist in the air, and it's weird, mm -hmm. but also pleasant. And you're like, I'll just have this for a while. <laughs> this. We'll just do this now. Yeah. But yeah, and Mitchell's back. <gasps> Fucking Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I'm really excited to find out what happens next. Same. Um, <laughs> do you do you know what's next? Much like you, like I wrote something that I'm very happy with, but also I don't think I like. Like it's weird. Like I think, mm -hmm. oh, this is a neat thing I wrote, but also who knows? Like, so the next thing that happens is like she pretty much is like Mitchell. You just have to go. Like I am unprepared for this. <laughs> like um, I've got a man coming back, and he's waiting for you. And I don't know how to emotionally deal with that next level. So I just want you to go. Why don't you come back at midnight and you and I will talk things out then. But just fucking leave. So he does. And he's very, like, arched eye, like, sarcastic about the whole thing. Which pisses her off, too. And then Hector comes back. And so now what was supposed to happen was supposed to be a really honest conversation between the two of them. She can't have. Mm -hmm. Like... She's going to be demanding a lot of honesty from him that she is not going to give back in return because she isn't going to tell him about Mitchell. So, um, but they have... Because this whole time, he was he was like, oh, she, she obviously she can get in touch with him. And she's like, no, I can't, no, I can't. And then he shows up, oh, fucking Mitchell. Yeah. So they have as honest a conversation as they can, and, like, she learns a lot about him and about how things went down on his end. And she tells him pretty much, and, like, he's like, we were expecting you to, like, have money, to be waiting for Mitchell, to, like, maybe there was, like, an agreement between the two of you. And she's like, I don't have any money from him. I, I'm not, I wasn't waiting for him. And she tries to tell the truth as much as possible, and he's kind of there for it. Um, and then they go and have sex again. And then uh, Mitchell can't wait, and he's also pissed because he's seen her having sex with this guy. And so then he breaks into the house, and he's going to be like, I have the money. I want you to go away with me. And he and Hector have a fight, and he knocks Hector <gasps> out. And so now where I am right now is he, like, Mitchell is manhandling Margaret, trying to get her out of the house, and she's just not sure... She has to make a decision here. Like, mm -hmm. I'm leaving it at she has to make a choice. And she's not quite sure what that choice is going to be. <laughs> that is exactly where I left off writing. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the next thing that's going to happen is she's probably going to fight back uh, or come up with some creative plan. And um, she's going to save Hector somehow. Great. Love it. Love it. Well, congratulations, Claire. Oh, Neil, congratulations. Thank you. Um, Christine, do you have a questions? I do. <laughs> um, so I have, I mean, well, I have a couple questions. You've kind of covered some of it. Um, have you ever heard any of the version of the quote? Um, I don't always like writing, but I am happy that I have written. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with the quote. 
Yeah. There's lots of versions of it. Sometimes people are like, I hate writing, but I love having written. Or like I say that about cleaning all the time. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what is your current relationship with that phrase? I think for me, it's true. Like, I I mean, as you say it, like, I don't always like writing because there are times I really do. There are times where it's like you're you're fucking in it and it's like it's the zone and you're just like, yes, I am a creator. I am a god. (laughs) I am a destroyer of worlds and a builder of them. I have many arms and I shall create people like I feel like that. And I also feel like I'm good at it and it feels good to do it. And then there are other times where it's like, this fucking sucks. Like, I don't want to keep doing it. I feel like I'm just, I might as well just be banging my head against the keyboard and the exact same thing is going to come out. Um, And so like, like, so yeah, I don't always like writing, but I almost always like having finished a a project, like having had done it, having Mm -hmm. had a creative work out there, like, there is even like even like the plays or the other projects that I've written on that I've been unhappy with that I thought, well, that was crap. I have sat in audiences of plays that I've written going, I should stop this. <laughs> I should get up and apologize to the audience. I should skip out of town for a couple of years. Like things like that. Like <laughs> Yeah. Go move to New Mexico. Change my name. Um, I've definitely <laughs> thought that, but I've also still, at some point in that process, been happy that I did it. Been happy that I I still did the work. Um, so that quote feels true to me. Okay, and Neil, what is your relationship with this quote? Who I could not um, figure out who it is initially attributed to. I don't think anybody knows who initially said it, but or I would give them credit for it. I don't know who it is. Yeah. We'll just assume that most people say Mark Twain or Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I I don't know if I Okay. So to sort of piggyback off of Claire's answer, there are definitely times that I'm just like, yes, yes, I'm in the zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or there are other times it's like, okay, I have this problem that I need to work out. And it's sort of fun, sort of like teasing it out and figuring out, okay, how do I get them from point A to point B? What are different things that I could do to, to accomplish that? And then there are times I'm just like, this is awful. Why am I, do- why am I doing this? What 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 am I doing? But I could, I could be watching TV. Mm. I could be eating chicken fingers. Like why am I doing this? Um, and then there, when I, I finish something, if I don't like it, I'm like, well then why did I do this? Why did why did I? This was all unless it's like okay, it's not where it is now, but I can like I can see what I need to do to fix. I don't. Uh, it's all tied into my self-esteem <laughs> issues, you see. So I can tell you, um, one one night, uh, myself and two friends were at a bar, and it was very very late. It was one of those close at the bar nights, and all three of us are writers, and so all three of us were talking. Oh, same. I miss those nights. I miss all bars. three of us were talking. <laughs> <laughs> 
all three of us were talking about the same sort of thing and, you know, just like the writing process. And myself and one of the other writers were talking about how sitting down to write is very difficult and sometimes getting it out is very hard and the process of doing it is not always fun or nice. And like, there's a million other things you'd want to do with your life rather than like, um, break your skin open over like a page of monologue that you've been torturing yourself over and you've tied your self-esteem to like, <laughs> like I, I've, 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 I've made this, small creative 10 minute play my entire being and and like that's awful like what are we doing with ourselves why are we like no go get a cat and just have a nice life why are you doing this to yourself and so, so like and I, she and I were talking about this and and like how that can be hard and unpleasant and honestly like and then I mentioned that when I was in I was teaching a class once. This guy said that he could sit down and just write and write and write forever. And he had, like, so much writing. It was, like, ten books worth of writing and, like, different things. And that felt more like not writing to me. That just felt like, good, you can endlessly put things down, but, like, is it a good story? Is it, like, full of character development? Is it actually worth reading? Like... I'm glad you can just write and write forever, but, like, what is come of this? I can also just write and write forever, but, like, is it good? Is it something I want to attach myself to? And then we finished the evening, and this gentleman who we were talking to didn't actually talk a lot or contribute to the conversation in so, so many ways. And he, he calls a cab, and he goes into the cab, and as he's getting into it, he turns around and yells at us, I don't trust writers who don't like writing. And then he slams the door and the cab goes away as if he just stolen something. <laughs> and the two of us were like, what the fuck? <laughs> what, was, what was that for? What was, what was the reason for this moment? And like that, like, I just, I see that in my mind all the time. Whenever I have a hard time writing and whenever I'm hating myself, whenever I'm sitting and writing, hating myself, just thinking of that man <laughs> getting into a cab and then yelling at us before he departs that on some level he hates me and this moment and the way I write. And honestly... That's such yeah, a cop-out, like, to get it, like, to run away like that. It's like, I also hate yeah. your hair. Bye. <laughs> and it's honest to God, in those moments, I think, fuck that guy. And there is a moment where I can write a hundred <laughs> more words, or I can at least push myself forward a little more. Because I'm allowed to not like the process. I'm allowed to love the work and love the things that I do and and feel good about it and not emotionally attach myself to it and still hate the process some days. So fuck that guy in that cab and his cowardliness to not participate in a conversation and to claim he loves writing so much he like with this one statement. So that is something that gets me through the times when I hate writing is this coward getting into a cab and running off as if he stole my ego with him. I have a tiny exercise or perhaps epilogue that you could work into this very novel is the cab driver going, what the <laughs> fuck was that? 
And the conversation that this dude was subjected to with the cab driver for the rest of the night. That he was screaming at two women out of a window. Yeah. And he was just like, well, I don't know. I write sometimes and I'm not driving a cab. And this is awesome. Like, uh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, so for me, a big takeaway from that story is the phrase, <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> It's a good motivation to write. Mm-hmm. Either either in the negative sense or the positive sense. I mean, and I don't want to give him any credit because fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. at least he spurs me on. But I'll, if he asked me, I'd still be honest. Like, no, sometimes I fucking hate this process. And I hate writing some days. Even the days, like, so fuck you. You are still incorrect. <laughs> yeah. There is something actually flawed. I mean, it's funny because now I'm even thinking, like, would I trust anybody who 100% of their time was like, I love it, every minute of it. Then it's like, oh, my God. It's just like there's something very, like, um, like masturbatory about it, right? Like, it's just like Mm -hmm. you're only doing, like, the, the pieces that are just purely, like, you know, yeah. self-pleasure about it. And nothing difficult yeah. about your art making. Either you're not challenging yourself enough. Yeah. Or you don't have enough self-esteem issues to be a good writer. <laughs> Definitely. Yup. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, okay. So my next question, now that you are complete or on the road to completing your novels, Right. Have you thought about the self-publishing? I mean, I get that Deborah has her own <laughs> thoughts and feelings on this. But well, like, obviously, I need to reach out to her to learn how it all happens. Yeah, and and to get you published because she has yeah. some magical. She has all the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, we've read self-published lots, novels we've lots. quite a bit. So yeah. L- Lots. Yeah. So, like, do you, do you think that's on the horizon? I know a lot of it can be, like, technically difficult. But I know that NaNoWriMo, NaNoWriMo has resources for that, right? Yeah. NaNoWriMo does have a lot of self-publishing um, and if resources. And if you finish, one of the great parts about getting to that 50K is you get access to a lot of discounts for, like, things that could help you mm. either complete your novel or self-publish or any of those things like and, it, and if not like if you don't even use those services you can at least know that those services are available to you which I think is also like a really cool thing um I don't know like I think we'll have to see where I am once we like once I get this to a place where I feel like I would be happy to show it to somebody else um as like a playwright who submitted my writing before I have no fear anymore of sending this to places and the nice thing about like uh, writing like this like playwriting you just shotgun that shit out you're like everybody gets one like the, <laughs> the best way to submit your plays is like every motherfucker who could possibly take your script should get your script like you just you submit like an at like you submit like you were spraying a garden like you just push it out there with like right with writing like this yeah, you only someone, submit one at a time 
And so, like, that can be really <laughs> difficult. But yeah. also, there's something about it that kind of appeals to me and that I'll know. I only have to wait for one rejection letter instead of 500. <laughs> <laughs> one at a time, anyway. As someone who reads script submissions for a theater company, it's like, oh, you just saw the word submission and sent it in, didn't you? You didn't read the rest of the thing, did you? Yeah. No? Okay. I Quick tangent. I got a submission once, and this was for, like, a 10-minute piece... And, you know, we're renting our space somewhere, but somebody submitted a script for a 10-minute play, knowing that it was going to be one in a night of, like, six shorts that required a working stove and a working sink. <gasps> I'm just like, who the fuck do you think you are? Who do you, the fuck do you think we are? Like, what? Anyway. Um, Stagecraft! But to answer your question... Yeah, I know. The magic of theater. Um... But to uh, answer your question, Christine, there's a part of me that's like, oh, well, if I finish this, maybe I could send it off to some publishers. And, and I think that for my piece, I'd have to be, um, I'd have to do a bit of research into who to submit it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that's like, yes, this is the beginning of my romance novel empire. Yeah. But I don't know if that'll yeah, actually Yeah, and happen. like, I don't know if, but. like, because one of the things, and I've said this before about self-published authors, I mean, authors in general always have a lot of hustle. You have to have a lot of hustle to be, to, to get your work out there like that. But self-published authors who are successful are very much on that hustle like they are very good at self-promotion they are very good Mm -hmm. at like you know like capitalizing on any bit of like you know little bit of like name recognition that they could get like they are really really good at that and like i am as a playwright i am supposed to do that and i am never good at it so there's a we run a podcast we're supposed to do that neil and, I know. And like, <laughs> we're both so, well, that's why we aren't part of some and, network or anything yeah, yet. Yeah. So, like, I would say, like, you know, it's difficult. I will also say, though, that I watched, um, I like watching Lindsay Ellis on YouTube and her videos, and they're very good. And she had a video called How to Get a Book Deal in 10 Years or Less about a book that she published recently that came out this year. (laughs) And um, it is a very good uh, video. And it is also like (laughs) watching it is like, oh, I'll just do (laughs) self-publishing. Because like it does take her just about 10 years from the start when she started writing that book to like the end. And, like, the journey the book goes through and, like, all the different publishers and all the different, like, agents and all the different editors and, like, the people who got it almost published and then it didn't and was dropped and she almost had to start over. Then the amount of times that she sh- she put it in a drawer after it almost got published mm-hmm. and was like, nope, I guess it's over. And the amount of rewrites she went through for each publisher and, like, each different, like... <sighs> Uh, each different agent and each different like the the amount of times that this book like was looked at before it got to where it is it's 
a little bit heartbreaking and it's daunting and it's hard to watch. But then you also know, like, there, and she's also like a person who's on YouTube and who has done things that are really worth watching on YouTube. So then you're like, oh, well, maybe that helped and it didn't. So, like, what what it means and then of course i've i've known other authors who've just gotten their book published <laughs> like and so it's like this it's just like in playwriting it's just like in any other thing it's like sometimes it hits sometimes it doesn't sometimes you get it to the right person first sometimes it takes you 5 years to get it to the right person and you just don't know how it's going to happen so question this person um did rewrites for publishers who then did not correct. publish this is it. Correct. The audacity. Is that a thing that happens That's often? a thing that happens in playwriting. I mean, I've heard of it happening in um oh like my there's God. in playwriting it's usually called workshop hell <laughs> where you submit a script and they're like, "Oh, we love it. We want to workshop <laughs> it." Um and you're like, "Yes, of oh. course." And then it goes to the workshop and they're like, "Ah, maybe we'll do another workshop next year and then you do another workshop and then you do another workshop and then they're like you know it doesn't fit into our season <laughs> um, uh, a, a, uh. a friend of mine like I think I saw four slightly different versions of a play that I thought was delightful um, that was put through like public readings by one theater company at least three times and they never optioned it for like getting it on stage, and I was like, that 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 fucking sucks. Mm. And also, I thought it was a great play. Ay, 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 ay. Wow. Okay, I have my last question here. Um, so, first for the question, I want you to think back just this this experience, NaNoWriMo, like NaNoWriMo twenty twenty November twenty twenty beginning and whatever just take a second think about it now somebody once told me and i don't know the scientific basis for this that um humans can only hold one memory of a thing at a time so like when i think of neil i have an image of neil in my head like it's, it's like a one for one thing. And like that image may get replaced, but it's not like, I don't think of Neil as Neil when I first met him. I don't think of Neil as I knew him five years ago. And I don't think I, I think of him as whatever image is, is Neil in my head. And it could be anything. So when you think of NaNoWriMo 2020, what is your knee-jerk reaction for the primary memory of it? Was there, like, a day? Was there a theme? What is, like, your primary, like, knee-jerk, this is the thing that's 2020, NaNoWriMo 2020? Like, was it your, like, your starting tweet? Like, when you sat down to write, like, was there some point in the middle where you're like, oh, my God, it's coming together? Was it a sex scene? Was it just, like, a, a word you found that was like, that's the word I've been looking for? 100%. I know exactly that answer. Oh, good. And it is. <laughs> Neil right. say, Neil saying, I think I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. Like, and me going, fuck, I guess I'll do it, too. And let's do it for the podcast. Like... <laughs> Like, me <laughs> jumping on it like a puma 
and like almost like taking it for my own <laughs> and running away with it. That's what I'll think of. Like and like <laughs> and then forcing Neil to talk about his process. Uh, in public, I will. That is mm-hmm. actually my number one thing. I will probably think of nice. <laughs> the year Claire broke Neil. And guess what's one of my least favorite yeah. things to do? Is <laughs> talk about your process really? Uh, in public, yes. Really? Oh, okay. I love it. When yeah, or to like talk process. about some to talk about something that I'm working on to an audience. I hate it. Mm. Having a one-on-one conversation with someone or like in a small group of people is fine. So these are sacrifices I'm making for our listeners because I love them so much. Mm-hmm. Well, next year when we do this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you will have to have already completed your novel in October, say. Um, you'll have an October right, right, right. ribo, and then you'll just pretend that it's in process when you're like already done. <laughs> You've solved it all. <laughs> because because if there's one thing we know about Neil is that he learns his lesson and next time he does better. Nope. Nope. Not even a little. For me, the the stick out memory is it was towards the end. So I would normally write at the dining room table. Mm-hmm. So that I could leave my spend time outside of my room after working in there all day. So there was one night that I was sitting at my dining room table, and my roommate and her boyfriend came out because uh, they were just about to go out. So they had their masks around their necks, very 2020. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, how's it going? Whatever." And it's like, "Oh, they're about to start rimming." And they're like, <laughs> "Great." <laughs> so that's my that's that's my 2020 NaNoWriMo memory <laughs> you get it you get it you know <laughs> yeah I almost want to I almost want to start a forum on the NaNoWriMo website to be like what's the quintessential moment and see how many people are like well it was the moment that I discovered that the character really wanted blank when all along I thought they actually wanted blank and how many people are honest Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many people are like, like I decided that all my characters were gonna really love bodily fluids. <laughs> <laughs> or like it's that day that I thought I'd just ride all day and ate my body weight in chicken tenders. Mm-hmm. This is great. Um, I was gonna say for people who are interested in. Books that were written during NaNoWriMo, or at least started during NaNoWriMo. Um, that list includes The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern, The Beautiful Land by Alan Avril, Wool by Hugh Howley, which is really great, uh, The Forest of Hands and Teeth by Carrie Ryan, Don't Let Me Go by J.H. Trimble, Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Persistence of Memory by Amelia Atwater Rhodes, Take the Reins by Jessica Burkhart, uh, Libby Owen Lived Here by Sarah Dooley, and Losing Faith by Denise Jaden. And there's more. There's like lots more, but I thought those were like ones that I thought you could just go and get. And these were bestsellers. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's very cool. So. And in a few years, we'll be on that list, Claire. Indeed. Probably. And if you decide not to be, 
not to be, I'll publish your novel in secret. <gasps> I, I would trust you with it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay, so that was NaNoWriMo 2020. We survived. We made it. Thank you so much, listeners, for taking this journey with us. Hopefully you um, enjoyed what we had to share, or hopefully you were able to make fun of it with your friends and loved ones. And <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll just say, fuck them, and then that will spurn you to writing your own books. Everyone just write books. Just write books. Everybody write books. <laughs> just write books. So... And then um, next episode, we'll be back to our usual format. And just to remind everyone what books we'll be reading, the books that I picked way back in uh, October, which feels like six years ago, um, (laughs) we'll be reading Cosmic Rendezvous, Kamani Romance Book Number 133 by Robin Amos and... The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics Feminine Pursuits by Olivia Waite So Astrologers Astronomers I always do that I was literally going to say that as a joke Because <laughs> that was my guess Was astrologers The theme was astronomers Astronomers um, Astronomers So I guess that's so we, yeah. So thank you, Claire. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so oh. much. Thank you, writers. Thank you, writers. <laughs> other Yay. writers, oh. each other. Yes. Um, and thank you, Nana Rimo. Um, it was an incredible experience. Uh, of course, if uh, anybody feels up to it, please donate to Nana Rimo. They do so much good work in the writing community, but also in communities at large. They're really close to hitting their goal their fundraising goal so if you just want to help them help them get over the edge um i'm sure they'd appreciate it um also thank you christine thank you so oh, much you're welcome <laughs> you're very welcome thank you listeners as always thank we you value listeners. you so yeah um and i think all that's left to say is if you can do so safely and consensually. Keep 